This is Rob with Divorced and Done. Darren and I are very pleased to announce that Divorced and Done is now an auction item. We've teamed up with Vernon Community Radio Society to support them in their fall fundraiser. They're a nonprofit society focused on delivering quality public radio to the North Okanagan. That's right. Rob and I are offering a one-hour video conference with the highest bidder to discuss their family law matter and how to apply the Divorced and Done steps to their life. We're happy to go longer than one hour if needed. You don't need to be from Vernon or the North Okanagan. We're happy to have this discussion with anyone from across Canada or the United States. If you or someone you know would get value from speaking with us, we encourage you to bid on this auction item. The auction goes live on Friday, October 15th, running through October 24th, and can be found online at vernoncommunityradio.ca. Thank you for considering your support of public radio and for your ongoing support of Divorced and Done. Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by my dear friend and colleague, Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you move through the Divorced and Done steps to move through your divorce efficiently and effectively without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Darren Schmidt, on this beautiful Wednesday morning, my arms are tired. Are your arms tired? My arms are generally tired. But did you want to say uh, why our arms are tired? Yeah, because we were just flapping so hard, flying back from Australia. Uh, Darren oh, and yeah. I just had a great trip uh, down far, far south and back uh, in joining our friends, family lawyers uh, in Australia, Gillian Yeend and Tim Nichols, on their podcast, I Do, I Sue. Of course... Uh, We were not physically in Australia, but obviously joined uh, those two lawyers remotely in their endeavors, in the work that they're doing and spreading their messages about family law to Australia. They were kind enough to reach out to Darren and I in Divorced and Done to include us in their podcast. So although we just recorded today, we expect their podcast with our interview to be out later this week. Uh, talking about differences between Canadian and Australian family law. I do, I sue. They're a great bunch of folks, and I'm sure they'd appreciate if you went over there and listened to their podcast. I'm not precisely sure where you can stream their podcast. I'm, I'm assuming it's generally available on all streaming platforms, once again, called I Do, I Sue. You're right, Rob. We had a pretty cool guest appearance on that podcast, had a fairly comprehensive discussion with Gillian and Tim on... The differences and mostly similarities between the Australian family law system and the Canadian family law system. And it's just fascinating that the internet allows us to do that, connect with colleagues across the globe and have those discussions. So that's been awesome. One thing uh, I want to say, though, about discussions is that if you're listening to this, you can have a discussion with us and you can do so by bidding on an auction item because we are an auction item. We are an auction item in the Vernon Community Radio online auction running to October 24th. You would have heard our little plug for that at the start of today's episode. So please do help support public radio. Every dollar uh, raised as part of that online auction goes to support public broadcasting. 
the winning bidder for our auction item gets an hour or more with us to talk about their family law matter. You don't have to be from Vernon, BC, or Canada. You can be from the US too. We'll have a, a sit down chat with you because we think our divorced and done steps apply broadly across Canada and the US. And we would love to have an in-depth conversation with you about your family law matter. So please do consider making a bid on that because it's going to be a good time. Uh, and on that note, it's amazing because as of today, I was looking at that auction site and it's amazing because a few people have bid on that, which is so humbling uh, and so encouraging both, I know, to you, Darren, and to me in this project that we undertook just a few months ago that folks are using this material, engaging with it, and hopefully finding it helpful. Yes, but we think, although people have bid on it, there's more money to be bid. So reach down, get get into your pockets. This is a pretty cool product Yikes, we're offering. You're, you're a big fundraiser. Here we go. <laughs> Come on, you got to support the public radio. Let's go. Uh, no, it's great. So we're really pleased to be part of that project. We're also very pleased to deliver answers to listener questions, typically on a weekly basis. So that's what we're doing today. We're addressing more of your listener questions. If you have questions, send them to us, to our Gmail account. Lawyers, plural, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. And we don't reveal your identity. We keep it all safe and anonymous. The goal is that we can help address your questions on this podcast movie through our divorce and done steps. So we're going to get into those questions right away. Let's get to question one, Rob. Listener says, hey, Darren, I started following you on TikTok. I'm now listening to your podcast. Thank you so much for doing both. Uh, can you please include these topics in your podcast goes on to ask a couple of very specific questions. First question the listener asks is, I have evidence for the last couple of years that my ex has provided corporate tax documents of mine. Listener must have a corporation. Um, she's provided those corporate tax documents to a third party. So someone who's not part of the family law matter to an extended family member on, on her behalf. He asks, is there anything I can do uh, to prevent her from sharing my corporate financial statements and tax returns with this third party. Rob, what do you think? So I guess my first concern in approaching this is why a third party would have access to this listener's corporate tax returns. When we normally conclude matters where there's a final order or you have an agreement with your ex, there's generally an ongoing disclosure clause. And usually it is limited, at least in Alberta, to as simply as both parties by usually May 15th of every year will disclose their tax returns and notices of assessment. But that's limited to their personal tax returns. So perhaps this person has some sort of order or agreement in place that they are to share their corporate tax returns with the other party. Uh, otherwise, I'd be concerned why this third party has still has access to those corporate tax returns. In terms of that person sharing them generally, that's not appropriate and that shouldn't be occurring. Uh, of course, if you've had discussions with someone and that just won't stop automatically, you could raise this issue in court. I've seen this a few times, but it's been in really exceptional circumstances. The one instance I'm thinking of was an instance where an individual received money through a corporation as a part 
shareholder and owner of that corporation, but it was a really big company uh, with, I believe, several hundreds of employees and did several millions of dollars in revenue annually. So disclosing those tax returns and the particulars underlying it would have been really prejudicial to the company and other people. In other words, it wasn't just a closely held company of one or two people. In that situation, the court made really narrow rulings that if parts of the tax return were relevant uh, and directing what would be relevant, the person interested in the tax return, that is the other party seeking that disclosure, could view it through their lawyer at the other lawyer's office or on a really limited basis for the sole purpose of that other individual interested in the tax return, couldn't make copies of it and couldn't disseminate it to other people. Uh, But in terms of practicality for this listener, assuming it's a closely held company, meaning he's, he or she is just the sole director and sole owner of that company. uh, If you can't get agreement on those pieces, and if you have to keep sharing those tax returns, perhaps a court can provide some direction for you. Yeah. I I think on that point, the, I gather from the question, because we do summarize the questions that are sent in sometimes, so we're just sort of reading out the portions that are relevant. Um, I gather from the question, it is a closely held corporation. So uh, the rules of court typically provide for non-disclosure of a documents exchanged as part of a family law action or ongoing family law action to third parties. So there's clearly, a, I'm, I'm going to say without question, it's, it's, um, not allowed for the your ex-spouse to be sharing this information. That's clear and obvious. The question is, what do you want to do about it? So practically address that with her. Tell her it's unacceptable. It's likely, um, and I think if you want to confirm this, you have to confirm with the rules of court uh, by reviewing those in your jurisdiction or speaking to a lawyer in your jurisdiction, but tell her specifically the rules of court likely prohibit you from sharing this information, please don't do so. If this continues, I may ask a court to step in. If she continues doing it, obviously you're going to have to decide at that point, do I want to bring an application to uh, prevent her from doing so and either seek costs or other measures at that point? But hopefully you don't get to that point and a simple discussion can resolve it. The listener asks a second follow-up question. Uh, pertaining to his closely held corporation. It appears he's the only shareholder and only director. And he asks if there's a generally accepted way of imputing income, personal income to him uh, because of a closely, it is a closely held corporation. In other words, um, um, how do you calculate his income for the purpose of child support or spousal support, uh, given that he is a a sole shareholder and sole director of his corporation. So uh, Rob, what do you think on that piece? In addressing corporate income, it is outlined in the federal child support guidelines. If this couple are married or in provincial child support guidelines, uh, if you're not married, depending on where you are in the country, generally there is a section in the child support guidelines. And I think Darren has it open before him. So you can address this better than I can that it generally outlines how corporate income can be evaluated and assessed when we're determining someone's personal income uh, for child support purposes. 
because of course, even though you may have a corporate tax return and a personal tax return, your personal income may not necessarily be the income, even though the CRA has used that number, the number that a court will use in assessing your child support obligation. Uh, because often when you have corporate income, you have your gross income, the total income that the company made during the year, taking away certain deductions, such as things that you spent, expenses you incurred, that can actually reduce your personal income tax payable. And even though all of those deductions are valid for uh, Canada Revenue Agency purposes, they may not be valid for personal income tax purposes when we're assessing your income for child support. So there's a process in there that to assessing whether deductions or other things, what your company has done, whether that is reasonable or not in determining your personal income. And the best way actually to find that answer is work in tandem with your accountant and your family lawyer if you have one. I think the, uh, think bang on Rob, I think the, the starting point under the guidelines is that your personal income, your line 150 or 1500 income tax line, total income, is the starting point for determining support. Okay, so that's the presumption. You can move from that presumption, and in this case, your ex may want to move from that presumption if uh, she feels that that does not accurately reflect your true income, at which point now we're looking at your corporate income tax returns, and namely, uh, is there money left over in the company that you haven't paid yourself, for lack of a better way of saying that, right? Are there uh, funds sitting in the company that are not earmarked for any debt or any capital projects? Basically, is there money just sitting there that you, you could pay yourself, but instead you, you're keeping money stored in the company? But the starting point is, presumption is your line 150 income on your tax return, that's the presumption. Imputing income is not the presumption, okay? That's a separate step, uh, and that only happens if the recipient of support is not satisfied that your personal income is truly reflected. It's, it, it, on your income tax return that you're actually making more, you could be making more. If you're going to impute income, as, as Rob, as you've said, uh, you look at the child support guidelines and you're right, I did have them in front of me because we were talking about this question a little bit before. Uh, section 19 gives general guidance about how a court it may impute income to a spouse if it considers appropriate in the circumstances which include um, things like unreasonably deducting expenses from income if you're a sole proprietor, um, it, how they're deriving income from various assets, are they underutilizing assets, things like that, um, failing to properly provide income information when under a legal obligation to do so. So there's just a mixed bag of factors here that a court can look at when choosing to impute income. So that's kind of imputing income 101. Hopefully your income is not imputed and that your personal income tax return accurately just reflects your income and no one's questioning that and you can move on to being divorced and done. Let's move to question two. So question two is kind of a mixed bag of facts and I'm going to try and condense them as best I can. So the listener and her husband have separated in January 2020. They have two kids, seven and five. They were married in 2009. The listener says from an income standpoint that the husband made fifty-five to 60000 more than she did. There was an understanding during the relationship that she was going to stay home to look after the kids for at least a portion of the time and may go back to school at a certain point in the future, but that was never really firmed up. And there's a dispute between them about whether or not he's 
um, he should be paying her spousal support. So the issue of entitlement to spousal support is live. So that's the first part of her question. The second part and the part we should probably address first is this parenting issue. Okay. So this listener uh, has said she's now in a new relationship and she expects that she's going to be having a child with uh, her new partner and that her ex-spouse recently found out about this and has become quite angry and jealous and has had recent discussions with her that are quite concerning to her, um, leaving her scared for her safety. There's some um, possible violence that had occurred through the marriage itself, and she fears that might happen again. Um, And he's made sort of a blanket statement to her that he's going to try and withhold the seven and five-year-old children from their relationship from her because she's having a child in this new relationship. So two things going on here, Rob. One is the instant parenting issue, and the second is the possible spousal support issue. So on the parenting issue, if I've articulated this correctly, um, in terms of he's just kind of mad at her at the moment, to put it lightly, uh, that's not to undervalue what's going on or, or understate the concerns concerns the listener has. What are your thoughts on this this issue, the parenting issue? So I'm clear. The relationship ended in January of this year. There's two young children, maybe around five and nine. And she is now, she expects to have another child or she is pregnant by her new partner. Separation January 2020. And Excuse me. their two children are seven and five and she expects to have a, a child with her new partner this year. Okay. So this is an excellent question in that it addresses, of course, both spousal support, which may be valid, and parenting. And our divorced and done steps uh, are exactly structured for these sorts of situations or really any sort of situation. So number one, they are separate and apart and have been separate and apart for more than a year. Sounds like about a year and a half, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, But their parenting is not firmed up. And as we've talked about so many times, many families spend a lot of time at step two determining parenting uh, because you will need to have parenting arrangements for the two biological children that they share, whether they've determined that or not, not clear. But dad is saying, I'm upset with how you've moved on with your life. You're planning to have another child with your new partner, which is valid. So I'm going to withhold the children. That's not a valid reason for withholding children unless dad has some really good reason to say there's violence uh, or some other harm that may come to the children while they're in mom and new partner's care. But we're not really hearing anything about that. Sounds like they've already been separated for a year and a half. And from what you've said, Darren, sounds like mom moving on and having a new child with new partner has been an aggravating factor that's made dad angry and unfortunately may make them feel less safe or that he's going to withhold the children. Unfortunately for the listener, I'd say unless he's made some very specific scary threats or other things uh, that have been going on for some period of time versus blowing off steam, which he may just be doing if he's only recently found out about this potential new child. Um, I would suggest the listener do her best to work with dad to continue whatever parenting regime they've already established for a year and a half. Of course, if there are concerns about safety, That takes you back to the beginning of our steps. Number one, separate and apart and making sure that everybody is safe. If you don't feel safe or your children aren't safe, 
of course, phone the police, potentially phone Child and Protective Services. But if the core concern is dad is just upset that she may be having a new child and wants to withhold the children from her on that ground, that's not actionable. We can talk about the spousal support piece, but before we do that, do you have any thoughts on the parenting? I echo your comments. I mean, it's a step two issue. So what I'd say more broadly, and and it's not specifically put out in the question, but what I would say is come up with a parenting agreement if you can at this point. Like, if, if, if unless the conflict is so high, and maybe it is, but if, if you can make an agreement on the parenting arrangement for your five-year-old and seven-year-old about how much time those kids are going to be between the two households, please do come up with that agreement because if you are unable to, the, the matter will proceed to court likely um, for a determination from a judge on that issue. And that's never fun. And it's, it's uh, time consuming and can be costly if you have a lawyer to do it. But it may be necessary if you're unable to come to an agreement on those things and he is just so belligerent in his position and cannot be sensible in the sense of trying to come to an agreement with you. But what I would say is do everything you can within your power to navigate those discussions forward focused, not worrying about details from the past if you can avoid it, thinking about we have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, how are they going to enjoy spending time between both of our households and navigate that discussion in a forward-focused way on the spousal support piece. So let's move to that part. Just to come back to this, um, he made about fifty-five to 60000 more than she did at the height of their relationship. Uh, she was out of the workforce for a period of time. There was some understanding she may go back to school. I'm not certain what her level of education is, but never sort of went back to school because the relationship ended before she had the opportunity to. She was mostly responsible for looking after the seven-year-old and five-year-old during their lives uh, as they were very young children. So uh, she's concerned that uh, he's not going to agree to pay spousal support and kind of wants to know her position respecting spousal support. So with that, Rob, what do you think? On those bare facts alone, because we've talked about spousal support before, the first step is determining entitlement, meaning is it even at play? I think given what we know here, uh, given she was a generally stay-at-home mom, gave up working, uh, potentially for uh, didn't attend school right away, and being a mom was her primary career. Uh, dad made significantly more income than she did. I would suggest that perhaps some spousal support may be payable, just at first blush. How long that would last for could depend on how old they are. Um amongst other factors, and that's a very fact-intensive evaluation. But what I would say, coming back to our divorced and done steps, spousal support is a step five piece after you've resolved your property claims in step four. Because even though spousal support is separate from property, property can impact that. And not to sound like a broken record, you need to deal with your parenting pieces first, because I'm assuming if you're still working on your parenting, you probably haven't worked through all your property issues. So you want to do that all at once, then evaluate your spousal support claims to hopefully get everything all together in one agreement. And to get one agreement, you both have to agree. So I'd say let's start with the parenting piece first, but it sounds like there is potential for some spousal support there. I agree. So I think the listener, uh, your concern is he will not agree to pay you spousal support, and that may be true. 
Okay, he may not agree to do it. The question then turns to, again, this is a step five issue. We encourage you to resolve your parenting issue. We encourage you to resolve child support. We encourage you to then resolve dividing your property and debt before even addressing spousal support. So once you're there, um, you, you really need to think about, well, he may not agree to it. How badly do you want it? Do you want to litigate that issue? Do you want to weigh the costs of litigating it, the time it may take to litigate it, meaning going to court to get an outcome on that issue? right? So don't be uh, too concerned at this juncture that he's not going to agree to do it because that's, a, number one, it's a later step. And number two is just because he doesn't agree doesn't mean you don't get it. You're just going to have to work to get it in the sense of going to court, right? And that, you have to weigh the pros and cons of all of that. So thank you very much for sending that question in. Those are two very intensive questions, but we're very happy that you submitted them to us. Let's move on to our next question. So uh, this listener, her issue is that she has two kids aged 13 and 12. Uh, they have spent some time recently with their dad. I'm not exactly certain what the parenting arrangement is between these two parties, but one of the sons came home uh, and told mom, here the listener, that dad is going to take them hunting. Uh, dad has bought a gun for the children to go hunting. Didn't inform mom about this. Dad sent mom an email after she tried to get in touch with dad, basically saying, what's going on with the hunting? Um, and why did you buy them a gun? He, he, dad responds, um, she sort of summarizes his response, but in an email to her, he says, and I'm not quoting verbatim, the boys are able to make their own decisions on what they do. And if you aren't aware about what we're doing on uh, my time with the boys, you can go talk to your lawyer about it. So I'm not discussing hunting trips or, or anything about that. And you shouldn't be disclosing or you shouldn't be questioning our kids about this. Um, he says that there's a history between them where she can't be trusted with information and they can just, the kids can just decide for themselves what they want to do. Uh, the, and then at the end, he sort of says, well, oh, and by the way, you're on the hook for 50% of the cost of their activities, meaning a section seven expense, extraordinary expense under the child support guidelines. You're on the hook for 50% of that. So, um, well, I look forward to getting money from you for the purchase of these guns and any out of pocket costs for the hunting. Um, the, the listener basically says, look, I can't afford to pay for these things. He's just buying guns and enrolling them in these activities that that's not kosher with her. And she then goes on to say, interestingly, that she hasn't received any financial support through child support from him since their separation in July, 2020. So about 14, 15 months ago, um, leaves it at that says, uh, what can I do about all of this? So with all of that, Rob, what do you think? So when we think about extracurriculars for children and what they're doing with parents after you've separated, the number one piece is considering whether an activity is reasonable, both financially and in terms of the activity itself. So hunting and children with guns, although they are uh, 11 and 13, sorry, what were their ages? Uh, 13 and 12. 13 and 12. So not super young children, but still not definitely teenagers, uh, I'm a little concerned. And the first question I would ask, because she says dad's gone out and bought these guns, does this family have a history of hunting? Is dad a registered gun owner? 
uh, has dad been properly trained in the proper and safe handling of firearms? Is there any information there about any of that? None. No. So that's my first concern, just in a general safety of the children and safety of the family. Uh, assuming that all those safety pieces are satisfied, that dad is a proper sportsman and hunting is something they've done and the children have done previously. Uh, I really have no issues with the children going hunting with dad. But of course, that means mom needs to be informed. And dad saying that if she doesn't agree, it's exclusively up to the children and dad to make those decisions about what they're going to do uh, and that she has to pay for it. That's not the test. Uh, these parties need to be on the same page about what their children are doing. I'm glad there is some direct communication, uh, albeit sort of nasty, back and forth between email. In terms of paying for those pieces, if dad is going out and spending tons of money on this one extracurricular activity and saying, sorry, you don't agree with it, I don't care, you're liable for half of it, that's not the test. We have to come back and say, is this a reasonable activity for this family? If they have a history of doing this and a history of paying for all of this when mom and dad were together, maybe that's a reasonable activity. But if it's something new and it's something that dad is just raising on his own and taking the kids along with him and using that as an excuse to buy tons of new sports equipment uh, and to say, thanks, mom, you're on the hook, I imagine a court would not find that was the case. And dad may exclusively be responsible for all of those pieces. What are your thoughts? Yep, very quickly. Uh, the enrollment in extracurricular activities almost universally, well, universally, a court is going to say, did you work collaboratively with the other parent to enroll the child in that activity? Uh, and if the answer is no, then the parent who wasn't informed of the enrollment in the activity either says, well, great, I, I wanted them involved in that activity to begin with, wonderful. Or they say, I'm not in agreement with this. And then the question becomes, can you resolve it practically through a discussion? Looks like that's po not possible in this case, although I hope it can happen. The next question turns to, well, how do you resolve that? You may have to go to court and say, I'm opposed to the children participating in, in this instance hunting. Uh, I need an order that they not do so. Uh, I also may need an order that um, before either of us enroll a child in an extracurricular activity that we must get the written consent of the other parent uh, 14 days prior to any enrollment. If they don't have that written consent and the child doesn't participate in it, that's just something that rolled off the top of my head. But, um, you know, those are all things, it sounds like this lawyer, this listener has a lawyer, uh, so we encourage her to directly communicate with the lawyer on those pieces. Um, but I mean, the notion of going to court for what I've just articulated is not ideal. We hope everyone can work collaboratively with their ex-spouse, especially on issues of parenting, parenting decision-making, enrollment of kids and activities, all those sort of pieces. So we hope that you can do that, despite the uh, I guess, snippiness uh, and level of conflict that's relayed in that email from your ex-spouse that uh, you've sent us. It, it appears there's a history of conflict, but hopefully that can resolve and you guys can work collaboratively together because you still have some years left to work together in parenting your minor children. And that's, as we say in our steps, still a step two issue. Figure out that parenting piece. Once the parenting piece is figured out, let's move on to child support, which sounds like it's still an open issue for you in this matter. Um, so we hope that that's been helpful. And I think 
Rob, maybe that we'll leave it at that for this week for our listener questions. Well, fantastic. Darren Schmidt, thank you for your fun and joy this week in joining us. Again, per the great public radio ad we had at the beginning of our episode today, we'd encourage you to check out our auction at vernoncommunityradio.ca. All of your questions at any point in time to our Gmail account. Thank you for being with us, and we look forward to joining you again.